was doing from Simon's house, Simon and Andrew's. Uh, we remember that he left the he left the synagogue, and it was a Sabbath. And when they compare the other synoptics of the same stories, um, and he went on the Sabbath day directly to Simon and Andrew's house, and there he healed Simon's mother-in-law. And then when the sun set, the Sabbath restrictions were over, and the people of the city began to carry those that were sick and those that were possessed of devils to the door of the house, and they were gathered around the door, and he healed them. So he has spent a good amount of time after the sunset ministering to the needs of those around him. And we pick up now in verse 35. And in the morning, rising up a great while before day, he went out and departed into a solitary place and there prayed. And Simon and they that were with him followed after him. And when they had found him, they said unto him, All men seek for thee. And he said unto them, Let us go into the next towns, that I may preach there also. For therefore came I forth. And he preached in their synagogues throughout all Galilee and cast out devils. And there came a leper to him, beseeching him and kneeling down to him and saying unto him, If thou wilt, thou canst make me clean. And Jesus, moved with compassion, put forth his hand and touched him. He touched a leopard. <laughs> That's uh, pretty interesting. Touched him and says unto him, I will be thou clean. And as soon as he had spoken, immediately the leprosy departed from him, and he was cleansed. And he straightway charged him, and forthwith sent him away, and says to, unto him, See thou say nothing to any man, but go thy way, show thyself to the priest, and offer for thy cleansing those things which Moses commanded for a testimony unto them. But he went out and began to publish it much, and to blaze abroad the matter, insomuch that Jesus could no more openly enter into the city, but was without in desert places, and they came to him from every quarter. Now there's a lot here in the story of the leper, but I do want to pick up in this interlude between verses 35 and through verse 39. And we start here with a really holy scene in verse 35. While we're looking at the advancement of the kingdom, in verse 34, he healed many that were sick of diverse diseases and were cast out. He was doing this great work. And then we come on this scene where Jesus prayed. Now, I'm always perplexed at this, the Son of God praying, God praying. It's a perplexing matter. Now, some would claim, and you have to, when you're studying these, you, you, uh, when you're studying the synoptic gospels or things that are reported therein, uh, you're always going to end up with these claims that there's contradictions in the scriptures. Uh, 
Some would say that between Luke and Mark, there is a contradiction here. If you want to go over to Luke 4, and let's go ahead and read uh, the setting here of the prayer. Uh, here, as it's recorded in Luke, Luke chapter 4 and verse 42. And it says, And when it was day, he departed and went into a desert place, and the people sought him and came unto him and stayed him that he should not depart from them. So we have here in Luke 4.42, it says, And when it was day, he departed and went into the desert place, and the people sought him. Our text here in Mark says, And in the morning, rising up a great while before day, he went out and departed into a solitary place and there prayed. So people will say, Aha, right here, we have a contradiction in the Scriptures. Is that the case? Now, Luke, what was Luke focusing on? I, I just want to kind of, I want us to, to kind of walk through this here for a second, this, uh, this apparent contradiction. Luke is, Luke, is not focusing on the prayer of Christ and the temporal aspect of the prayer of Christ, but he's focusing on when the people were seeking him. Does that make sense? Luke also places us that places the seeking temporally as happening in the day or after daybreak. And this is one of those places where I'm glad that 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 uh, that that uh, I'm able to study the Greek. But what we have here is a participle in Luke where it says, and when it was day, he departed. That is a aorist participle that is, gives us a temporal setting. And we, it's, it's always hard to catch those participles in translation, but after he had departed, after departing, having departed into a desert, into a desert place, they sought him at the daybreak. So uh, that's just one of those things that, that uh, I'm glad that we're able to, to actually go back and study uh, the underlying text. But there is no contradiction here. We just basically are looking at the very focus. The focus is different in Luke. Luke is focusing, they're seeking him when it was day. Mark is focusing, when did he go and pray? And focusing on this act of prayer. So let us go back to Mark and let's start mark, mark, marking through this text. I just wanted to deal a little bit with, uh, with that apparent contradiction that some people will bring up. Mark stresses the temporal aspect of the prayer. When did he pray? So there in verse 35, and in the morning. And, and that just means it was early. <laughs> he got up early. Uh, that's actually an adverb there uh, that, that's translated morning. And it was followed by another adverb, which they, which, which they did a great job here, the King James translator, a great while before day, or re really the meaning of it was in the night or during the night still. So we have this time before day. So he was up most of the night already. The sun set. He started this big healing service where everybody was being carried, and he healed all these people, and then finally got to bed, and before the day broke, when it was yet night, before even the birds started chirping or anything, here is Jesus Christ, and he is getting up before the dawn of the day to go about this task. Remember, when the sun set, like I said, he was, our, our Savior here was tired. 
But there was something very important, and that is his fellowship with his father. Uh, the psalmist says, Psalm 5.3, for instance, My voice shall be heard in the morning. O Lord, in the morning will I direct my prayer unto thee, and I will look up. We seek him evening and morning and at noon. Uh, Psalm 55, verse 7. And it's, and it's very good that as we look at the Savior, our Savior, our example, had a prayer life. And, had, and his prayer life included rising up early to seek the Father and to commune with the Father. So he who fulfilled all righteousness prayed, and he prayed early. The, the, the translators got these, uh, I like how the, the King James reads here, and, and it, it captures this temporal ideas very well. Why, a great while before day, there he prayed. And of course we remember what day of the week was this. We have a little foreshadowing here. The dawn of the first day of the week is when, is when this was. A foreshadowing of a greater intercession that someday, that one day is going to happen where he was going to intercede to the Father on behalf of all of us based upon his finished work. But I don't want to get too much into the type. So after rising, he went out to this priority. He departed from everyone else into this solitary place, a desert, a wilderness uh, just it basically means that he went to this place away from everyone else. He went and in, departed into a solitary place, and there he met his father. Now, last week we were talking about uh, John, where he has this abiding fellowship with the father. We see that abiding fellowship here that underlines all that he did. Our Lord prayed. He alone he prayed. The beloved Son of the Father was praying and speaking to the Father. And, and turn to uh, Hebrews chapter 5. We have this aspect of his life, this life being part of his passion. And, of course, this zeroes in on the prayer specifically that, was, that, that had to do with his death. But our Lord was a Lord of prayer. Uh, Hebrews chapter 5. Uh, Hebrews, James, uh, so... Uh, right after that little book of Philemon, Hebrews chapter 5, verse 7, it says, Who in the days of his flesh, in the days of his flesh, so this is more uh, while the zero's in on a specific prayer uh, at the time of his death, when in, the, when in the days, who in the days of his flesh, when he had offered up prayers and supplications, was strong crying and tears unto him that was able to save him from death, and he was heard and that he feared. Our Lord prayed. And that's a mystery to me when we reach this verse. I don't want to spend a great amount of time on this, but our Lord's a standard of prayer. The Son of God had an abiding fellowship of prayer with the Father. He, well, what, what, are, what are the indicatives of prayer? He taught us in Luke chapter 18, he says, men ought always to pray and not to faint. And the epistles would teach us, pray without ceasing. And here is our Lord rising early and praying. He had an abiding fellow. He, he was an example of one that prayed without ceasing to his Father. The Son of God had abiding the fellowship. The man, Jesus Christ of Nazareth, sought his God. An old mystery of mysteries. 
Christ prayed. We follow him in an example of prayer. We can learn a little bit about what our own prayer life is, both from his example and from his teaching. What did he say, uh, according to Matthew, just prior to this, the Sermon of the Mount, where he says, you ought to enter into your closet and pray with your Father in secret. Here we see him doing that very thing in his own example, where he is going away, solitary, away from everyone else, and he is praying. Uh, I remember teaching, I, I doubt, the, I doubt the, uh, the three boys here <laughs> remember going to the Sermon on the Mount with me downstairs a few years ago. Uh, so how do we pray? Well, we, 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 we pray to God in secret and we don't pray like the heathen, right? Don't pray like a hypocrite, don't pray like a heathen. Do you all remember that? Uh, and, but that's exactly what he taught. And this is his example for us. His ministry was marked by prayer so much so that luke chapter 11 verse 1 has them coming to him lord teach us to pray so we'd be do do good to learn from jesus christ here so marching through this text so this this kind of interlude that we have here in verse 36 uh it says and simon and they that were with him followed after him uh simon peter of course probably the chief host of the house was chief among those that were seeking him. Um, uh, there, is, there is a little bit of a, uh, a variant here that's, uh, that's not really worth going into. But I like this word followed. Simon and they that were with him followed after him. Now, this is... Uh, this is the word that is often translated persecuted or chased uh, or, or pursued. And often in this, when this is translated in, in, in the English, when you run into this word, we're talking about someone perse- under persecution being chased down. And that is, that is the word here that is being used. In fact, in the Greek Septuagint in Psalm 23, when it gets to that last verse, surely goodness and mercy shall follow me. That's that same, that same word is used there. There it's used in a good way. I'm being pursued by goodness and mercy. Uh, almost like, a, 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 like a being chased after by those things. I like how the Vincent Word Studies draws this out. Hence the compound verb indicates that they followed him eagerly, pursued him as if he was fleeing from them. Simon, true to his nature, was foremost in his pursuit. Simon and they that were with him him you remember the scene here of john 6 john 6 he broke he, he broke the bread and multiplied the bread and they all ate of the bread then he says i'm going to the other side he gets into the boat and and what did they do they pursued him to the other side they got boats and they chased him down and they and it says they were going to forcibly make him a king here we almost have almost in miniature that very same thing. They were following after him. They were pursuing him. They ate the loaves in John 6 and they wanted more. Here they experienced the healing, they experienced the power, and they wanted him to stay. And Luke captures that in that verse that we just read in Luke 4:42. The people sought him and came unto him and stayed him that he should not depart from them. Stay here, Lord. 
is what they were saying. And, and they found him. when they found him, they flattered him here in Mark. They said, everybody's looking for you, Lord. Stay here. We, 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 got, a, we got a great work going on right here. Stay. Everyone's seeking you. They want more, Lord. They would have had the spread of the kingdom stop right here. <laughs> All right, this is enough. He's our king. <laughs> he, uh, he's going to make sure none of us are sick and ever, all of us are free from demonic influence. And uh, you were going to have Capernaum's going to be the center here. And what did Christ answer? And we go on to verse 37. And when they had bound him, not verse 37. He answered in verse 38, rather, And he said unto them, Let us go into the next towns, that I may preach there also, for therefore came I forth. Now, just a couple things to note here as we're, and, and I apologize that there is no great outline here. <laughs> we're just going verse by verse. But we see the answer. Uh, one thing I want to draw your attention to is the very last few words. It says, For therefore came I forth. Now, what we have here is the language of John. People say, well, John just invented this whole other view of Jesus Christ. And uh, he has this language, this exalted doctrine of John, where he says, I have come down from the Father. I'm the bread that came down from heaven. I came forth to the Father. I'm going back to the Father. And John is peppered with this language. And John draws this language out, so much so that they say, well, the Christ that John was talking about was not the Christ of Mark, Matt, uh, Mark and Matthew and, and uh, Luke. Well, here is a case in point where we have the language of John and Mark. I came forth, lending evidence to the, that the exalted doctrine of John was the same doctrine of Matthew and Mark and Luke. And here the they seems to be the disciples. And he said unto them, that's, that's the disciples here, that their mission must go on. He has a purpose. He has a purpose. And it doesn't mean settling here in Capernaum and starting a healing ministry. He has a grand purpose that, we're, that, we're, that you and I are still a part of. What is our command? Go. And here we have that very heart of Christ from the beginning. I must preach, said Luke 4.43 in a similar part. Um, Luke gives this di differing aspect. I must preach, Luke 4.43, the kingdom of God to other cities. The kingdom must continue to go on. For therefore am I sent. The same kind of language, him being sent. That's John's language, but we're finding it in Matthew and Mark and Luke. So when the Muslims or someone like that says, well, it's just this, this uh, no, it's not. It's not this uh, gradual uh, projecting this is the language of Christianity. He came from heaven. He went back to heaven. He is seated in heaven. The exaltedness of John is still the same message of Matthew and Mark and Luke. The kingdom must increase. I must preach the kingdom of God, as says. Here he says, I got to go to the next towns and preach. I, I love the fact that he said towns. <laughs> uh, really here... In that ancient world, there was a thing, that there, there was the big cities, and the big cities had walls. Why did they have walls? Anybody know? They had enemies. <laughs> so the big cities had walls, and when the enemy came, 
There were people that lived in other cities that were unwalled. Why? Because they were small. They didn't really matter. And if the enemy come, they just ran to the big walled cities and got behind this, the city walls and they were safe. And they lost their homes. So these were unsignificant places. The word, the word here is towns. Every little village, every little hamlet, he says, I must go there. I'm glad about that. Uh, that there is no small, he said, what, what did he say in, not he, but what, what was said there in Revelation? Every people, every language, every tribe, every tongue. There's no insignificant places. Here we have, he says, I want to go to the places that have no real legal status and no one's worried about protecting them. I want to go there and preach the kingdom of God. The kingdom of God can grow there until it fills the whole earth. And thus, I've spent a little bit of time on these verses here in the, in the proceeding. He preached in their synagogues, verse 39, throughout all, all Galilee and cast out devils. Notice that the synagogues are very uh, important here. He's not only teaching in the cities and the towns, but he's actually going in and he's teaching in the places where Moses is read among the Jews. So the kingdom is spreading. Luke also said, and he preached in the synagogues of Galilee, Luke 44, 444. And from this point, a greater sign. I like, to, I like to think that we're going from the cities and the streets to the synagogues and in this next one to the temple itself where he's going to send this man, this leper, to the temple with a sign of who he is. I don't want to get ahead of myself and get into some of the next weeks, but a greater sign is going to go forth from here and I want to pick up here and here for the next few minutes I want to introduce this leper to you. The matter of leprosy. And there came a leper, verse 40, beseeching him and kneeling down to him and saying unto him, If thou wilt, thou canst make me clean. Now, the Bible deals with leprosy. In fact, I'd say most of us here got really, really bored when we got to Leviticus 13 and 14 and we were talking about the laws of leprosy, right? Anybody, anybody just want to go right, direct, right? How many of you all have read Leviticus? All right, hopefully everybody puts their hands up. All right, I shouldn't have, I shouldn't have shamed everybody. Maybe you all just perused it really quick. All right, leprosy. The book of Leviticus actually devotes an entire chapter just on diagnosing leprosy. Just on diagnosing it. And it leaves in turn to Leviticus 14. And then it gives an entire chapter regarding what to do about leprosy. And Luke 14, or Leviticus, I want to go back here because there's something about how the law deals with this that is very, very interesting. And then we're going to talk about a few other things. I want to kind of... Like I said, this is an introduction to this subject. Luke, or Leviticus, why do I keep saying Luke 14, verse 2? It leaves a command in the scriptures here for what to do when it has been cleansed. All right? 
I'm getting ahead of myself, but how many times do you think, suppose this has happened, that a leper has been cleansed? I'm going to talk about it in a second. There's two times in the Scripture that a leper has been cleansed, and we're going to talk about them. But first, I want, to just, I want to show that there's an expectation. So an entire chapter, Leviticus 13, the entire chapter is devoted to simply to diagnosing leprosy. And then in chapter, chapter 14, it says, And the Lord spake unto Moses, saying, This shall be the law of the leper in the day of his cleansing. And he shall be brought unto the priest, and the priest shall go forth out of the camp, and the priest shall look, and so on and so forth, and re-diagnose him, and confirm that the leprosy is gone, and then offer all these sacrifices. And we get an entire chapter of sacrifices for cleansing. How many times do you suppose someone came to the temple for cleansing? I don't know of any. But here, there's an expectation in the law that there's these cleansing sacrifices for the day when the leper comes for his cleansing. I want to set that aside here for a second. Let's talk about the two instances of leprosy in the Bible in which leprosy was healed. Anybody? All right. We're, we're doing a lot of, we're doing a lot of uh, Bible trivia. Who can name one? Naaman. All right, you got one. And who healed him? Well, God ultimately, but <laughs> Elisha. Yeah, Elisha healed him. Indirectly, by the way, he sent his servant out, and uh, Naaman got all mad about it <laughs> and almost didn't get healed. We're going to come back to that because that's important. Name and story. What's the first one? I'll give you a hint. So in the first five books. It's the fourth book. Miriam. All right, what happened to Miriam? She got mad because of an interracial marriage of Noah, uh, Noah, but of Moses. And, her and, her, and uh, her and her brother Aaron got together and said, hey, this interracial marriage is bad. Noah, and Moses, Noah. Moses is bad, and they talked about Moses, and then what happened to Miriam? She got covered with leprosy. All right? So those are the two instances of healing of leprosy. Moses, in Numbers 12, had to intercede to God to heal Miriam. All right? So we're already seeing something, that God judged her with leprosy, and God alone could cleanse her of her leprosy. By the way, there's no temple yet. <laughs> All right, so the other, as Savannah just told us, was a Gentile, praise the Lord, <laughs> named Naaman. 2 Kings chapter 5, the entire chapter. It was a fitting, it's fitting for the Jewish Messiah to be like unto Moses and following Elijah i.e. John the Baptist, to be like unto Elisha. The expectation of the healing of the leprosy and the offering of those regarding those cleansings created an expectation for the Messiah himself. The Messiah was to heal all manner of sickness, takes our sickness upon us, and so on and so forth. The healing of Naaman is very interesting, and I want you to just mark this scripture down, and I want to try to hurry. Uh, I want to mark this scripture down and actually read from 2 Kings chapter 5, verses 6 through 19. And we're going to get, and you're going to discover several things here that 
about this. The healing of Naaman's leprosy was beyond all hope but of God in that text. Served the purpose of showing that there was a prophet now in Israel. That's what Elisha said to the king. The king says, what am I, God, that I can heal his leprosy? And he says, send him to me that he may know that there is a prophet in Israel. And ended with the Gentile worshiping the one true God. Only a true prophet of God, only one truly sent of God, could heal leprosy. And the law left them waiting for it. And in context of the line of thought of Mark, the authority of Christ goes from the field to the synagogue and now sending an ambassador to the temple with a healing. But I get ahead of myself. What I'm saying here, leprosy is a difficult issue. The authority of God alone could address the matter. And the issue at hand, though, I want you to notice, going back to Mark, what the issue was. The issue wasn't the leprosy. He just happened to be a leper. And that was a really... (laughs) The the issue was, if you will, if thou wilt, thou canst make me clean. What's the stuff about cleanliness? Well, if you were unclean, what what could you not do? Couldn't go to the temple, couldn't worship, couldn't offer sacrifices, couldn't be among God's people, had to be outside of the camp of God's people. So this matter of cleanliness, it wasn't so much the leprosy that we're dealing with here, we're talking about cleansing being clean. We're talking about dealing with that thing that shuts one off from the worship of God and from the congregation of God's people. What Something has made him unclean, perpetually unclean, and Luke says he was full of it. <laughs> full of leprosy. Go back to Leviticus 13. I want us to see Leviticus 13, this is the diagnosis chapter, Leviticus 13, verse 45. And the leper in whom the, pl- and in whom the plague is, his clothes shall be rent, his head bare, and he shall put a covering upon his upper lip, and shall cry, unclean, unclean. All the days wherein the plague shall be upon him, he shall be defiled. So we're talking about his standing before God, his standing in the congregation of God's people. He is unclean. He shall dwell alone. Without the camp shall his habitation be. This man's got quite a problem. And his problem's not leprosy. The bottom of this is a sign of a Savior who can reconcile us to God. I like how it's talking about cleansing and it's talking about being clean. It's talking about the ceremonial issue that's the result of his physical issue. There is a Savior that can reconcile us and restore us to God's people and reconcile us to the Father. 
being so far advanced in that which makes him unclean, facing death, he missed something. He was alone without God and without hope. Simply, this is this man, that's the state of being unclean. Now, I don't want to belabor the Greek because I don't want you to throw stuff at me and just say speak in English. But there's this little gift that God has given us called the Greek article, and it's been a gift that's given. Now, the article has several things, but there's one thing that's not present here is there's no article to give identity to this leper. What do I mean by this? It's not very important who this leper is. In fact, he ends up being very disobedient in the last verse. Uh, but there's no article to identify, and it's not even important. What's important is in this story is not who the leper is, but the situation. It could be anybody. It could be whosoever, right? There's nothing important about the leper, nothing special about him. He just had a problem. He was alienated from God's people. He was alienated from the worship of God. He was alone. He was unclean and unable to approach. Luke described the scene like this. And it came to pass when he was in, he, when he was in a certain city, behold, a man full of leprosy, who seeing Jesus fell on his face and besought him, saying, and he went on to what he said. So he could have been anyone from anywhere. I'm glad about that. I'm glad when I'm studying these little stories of, uh, about, about Christ healing that it doesn't shut anybody out. Even in the story, there's a whosoever. There's no one beyond the hope of God. And if there is anybody that is without God and without hope now, Christ can answer it. There's one thing we, before I was saved, that I had in common with this leper. I was unclean. And so was every sinner. The uncleanness. We had yielded our members to uncleanness, Romans 6, 19. Uh, we lived in the uncleanness of our flesh, Ephesians 4, 19. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship one with another in the blood of Jesus Christ does what? Cleanses us. We're talking about cleansing in this story. Cleanses us from all sin. With that being said, I'm five minutes over already. I want to just get into what he said. But at first, notice again in Mark how he approaches his Lord. There are three straight participles of manner. Now, a participle is, in this case, is acting adverbally. It's, there's a main verb. Where am I at? There's a main verb, the le the, and there came a leper. And then we have participles that talk about how he came, these three I-N-G statements. He came beseeching, he came kneeling down, and he came saying. So three ma participles of manner to talk about how he came. Now, just for your, exer for your uh, exhortation, I guess, 
That's not the word I was looking for. But your edification, that's what I was looking for. Um, it's interesting that uh, that word, beseeching, we get the noun paraclete. Anybody know what the paraclete is? <laughs> no, you, you have to wear paracletes to <laughs> play baseball. Uh, no, a parac- the paraclete was the comforter, the advocate. That's the noun form. This is the verb form of that. He was urging him. He was beseeching him. And then it says he was falling on his knees. Matthew tells us he was worshiping him. And then he was saying. And by the way, our Lord received worship in Matthew from this man. He didn't say, oh, worship the Lord. I mean, you can't worship me. (laughs) That's Matthew 8 too. So hear what he says. This is his beseeching, his saying, his declaration. By the way, he's not asking anything here. He's not requesting anything here. He is making a statement, a declaration of faith. What's his declaration? If thou wilt, if you will, if you're willing, thou canst make me clean. So again, that's not a question, is it? That's not a request. It's a statement of faith that is couched in a well-reasoned argument. It's what we could call a conditional argument, a conditional sentence. Matthew and Luke, by the way, record him calling him Lord. Now, some people say, well, some people believe, well, Mark was written first, and then... Luke and Matthew came along and they tried to improve on what Mark wrote. And by the way, no one knows if Mark was written first. And they all wrote independently. Uh, but that's what Muslim scholars and stuff like, well, see, Mark was written first and then here's, and here's Matthew. He, he adds the word Lord. And, and that means there's a development. Again, this idea that the theology of Christ developed in, and then we get to the high stuff of John. And that's just not so. By the way, this whole story tells us that Mark believed that Christ was Lord, even without the use of the title. If you will, you can. And he said, you're right, and I will. Can't, don't, tell, don't tell me Mark wasn't describing him as Lord. And by the way, Mark called him Lord often. John the Baptist, Mark 1, 3, prepared the way for the Lord. He has Christ saying uh, that he is Lord of the Sabbath, Mark 2, 28, and so on and so forth. All these places, Christ, uh, Mark used the term Lord, so people were just reading into the synoptics what they want and, and using theory to try to say. So whether the title Lord is used or not, the st- uh, this whole story is attributing divine power to Christ which is confirmed by Christ's response. Now, there's different kind of conditional statements. And I, you all, no one's saying amen, Pharaoh, yet. (laughs) Let my people go. Give me two minutes and I'll be done, I promise. All right, don't don't fall out or start throwing stuff. I just want to be technical here for a second. This is what we would call, where did I go in my notes? 
a third class conditional. What is a third class conditional? Well, simply this, I, want to, I don't want to get into terms, but you start with the uncertainty, if this, and, and that, that part's uncertain, it would be a subjunctive, the uncertainty of the, sum, of, of, of the subjunctive, if you will, to the certainty of the indicative, you can. And obviously, when he's making this statement, it's not, a depend, it's not an independent argument, but it's based on the evidence. How did he come to the conclusion that Christ can do this? Well, he was observing Christ. He probably saw all these people coming. He said people were gone to him sick, and they're coming back to him whole. People were going to him full of demons, and they're coming back with a sound mind. I have leprosy. If he wanted to, he could heal me. I'm unclean. I'm unable to even be a part of any of these people, anything they're doing, but he can make me clean. That's his argument. So there's evidence that's underneath this. Uh, there's also the fact that Matthew tells us that either chronologically or topically, whichever way we want to look at Matthew, he positioned this event right after the Sermon on the Mount, where at the end they said, this man has authority, real authority. And of course, here in Mark, contextually it fits either way. Whether we're showing whether he is, this man was convinced by looking at his works or, looking, or hearing his words, he had enough evidence to say he can do this if he wants to. And contextually, that's exactly where Mark leaves us. These people were amazed. He, he's teaching as one that has authority. He's healing. He's preaching the kingdom of God. This man has come to a conclusion here in Mark. He has made a logical connection between what Christ was saying and doing and his condition. He saved others. Why couldn't he save me? He speaks with authority. Why can't he not exercise authority over me? The only thing that would prevent it from him from being saved was with if Christ was not willing to do so. He was concluded of that fact. If he would be willing, though, he was capable. If A, then B. So there's only one possible preventer in his mind to his cleansing, to his salvation. We remember a story of other lepers in the Bible, right? They weren't healed, of course, but they were besieged there in Samaria. And the Lord chased off the army and left the camps. And no one knew it. Everybody's starving in the city, and they come to the conclusion, if we stay here, we're going to starve. If we go out to the camp, worst they can do is kill us. <laughs> but they might have mercy, and they might feed us. So they went out, and of course, they found the place empty, and they ate, and they drank, and they shared the good news of all. It's kind of like this leper here. This leper, he can heal me. What do I lose by going to Christ? He can. The worst he can say if I come to him is, no, I won't do it. 
He's able to do it, though. If I go to him, he just might do it. It was not just possible. This man had a statement of faith. Not, it, it's possible he might, or, or even it's a likely conclusion. It, might, it would likely occur. This man believed. And therefore, he called him Lord, according to Matthew and Luke. What do we have here? This is faith. And it made up the reason for which the leper came, from, came to Christ. And now I want to say something. I, I've been about God's sovereignty. The sovereignty of Christ here is really what this is, text is leading to. His sovereignty and salvation. I believe that. I believe it's not in him that runs, nor in him that wills, but in God that shows mercy. And he can show mercy on whomever he wants to show mercy to. That's the teaching of Romans 9, right? That belief is not an impediment for any to come to Christ. This whosoever was able to come to Christ and says, if you will, you can make me clean. Yeah, it's, it's, it's all your will. You could decide to have mercy if you want to have mercy. That's not an impediment. I, I've heard people say, well, if you, if you believe in God's sovereignty, if you believe that, that He saves whom He wills, then somehow that's an impediment. Let me ask you this. I like how Charles Spurgeon said this. If there is a multitude that no man can number, why can't you be a part of them? If he saves whomever he wills, why, don't you, why aren't you going to him for salvation? It's not an impediment to believe that. Here we have a whosoever come believing that God, if God wills, he can save him. That's never an impediment. That's, a, that's an encouragement to faith. He was full of leprosy, but he was unclean in the, unclean in the eyes of the people, and unclean in the eyes of God. It was his loathsomeness and offensiveness he wished to be rid of. He knew it. He had no hope except for the will of Christ. And once he was convinced of that, why stay, why stay we here till we die? Let us go. <laughs> That's the plea here. John uh, Barnes Ended with this note, and I'll end here mercifully, right? If thou wilt, this was an exhibition of great faith and also of acknowledgement of his dependence on the will of Jesus in order to be healed. So every sinner must come. He must feel that Jesus can save him. He must also feel that he has no claim on him, that it depends on his sovereign will, and he must cast himself at his feet with the feelings of this leper, I can but perish if I go. I hope you receive something from the Word of God. We're just introducing this leper. Next week we will get deeper into the subject. Let's stand and let's be dismissed. Um, I'm not going to give a... Um, I'm not going to give an um, altar call. But if there's anybody here that is lost, 
What's keeping you from coming to Christ? Do you believe that he can? Do you believe that he can make you, make you clean if you came? The invitation's open. You don't need me. You don't need this altar. You don't need anything else. You need to go to Christ. And you can go to Christ in prayer right now and say the same thing this leper said. If you will, you can. Let me give you one more thing of encouragement. All that the Father has given me shall come to me, and him that comes to me I shall in no wise cast out. There's no one that ever came to Christ in faith that he turned away. 